Okay, all right. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the uh, Parkway Baptist Church live feed on this uh, stormy, rainy day. Tomorrow's going to be another stormy, rainy day, it sounds yeah. like. So, um, man. All right. I'm not showing yet. I'm waiting to the show. The light it's, I'm just waiting to see if it pops up here. There we go. All right, it's there. All right. Okay. Everybody doing all right tonight? Wonderful. Yeah. How's everybody? Thumbs up? How about Phyllis? You. Way back there in the back. Are y'all okay back there? They're okay. Y'all, are y'all okay? Okay. Way back yes, there in yes. the back. Jenny, way back there in the back. Tiffany, way back there in the back. You know what I wish we had, man? I wish we had some little footballs with, with Jesus on them. Oh, cool. We just yeah. throw, them, throw them at them back there. I bet you they can catch them. Oh, of course they do. You think we can There's reach all the way back out there? Let me tell you. Yeah. 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 We've got some baseball players and football players, I'm sure of it. Oh, man, you know what I meant to tell y'all? Um, Micah and Logan are playing baseball. I, Angie got them on the team somehow, so I'm running them around, taking them to practice. And, uh, last night, I had to take Micah to practice, and uh, they actually put him on the mound. It's the first time he has ever pitched before, and I watched Ooh. him sit there. And th- I think he threw about 15 or 20 pitches. Yeah. And, man, actually, like, hit the strike zone probably 50% of the time. Hey, that's awesome, man. I couldn't believe it. You got pitcher. I man. really couldn't believe it. I love it. I just, you know, I just he's the all-American sport. Yeah, he's going to get cocky, you know. It's just going to be it's gonna be tough. So, <laughs> well, you know. I have to deal that's with, what you know, boys do. cocky pitcher in the family. I just can't deal with that. So. Yeah, that's what boys do, man. I know. You know who takes after, right? He takes after Angie, no doubt about it, man. That's All right, well, let's get after it. Um, Haggai and Zechariah tonight, we're going we're gonna to hold back for uh, Malachi just because these two books, Zechariah's 14 chapters, Haggai's should go pretty fast, but Zechariah's pretty long. has got some, both of them have some great content. So we're going to oh, yeah. try to stay on point tonight so we can get through them, and then we'll do Malachi next week. And then we will transition. I know, I know many of you uh, have expressed your excitement about the intertestamental study because not many people uh, have been through an intertestamental study, the 400 years between Malachi and the preaching of John the Baptist. And it's just the irony of the fact that we're doing that right now with Luke, with the birth narratives, with John and with Jesus. Uh, it's just really, I think it's all going to be really helpful to us. And there's us. actually references in Scripture to the intertestamental period. Yes, there are. So there it, are. it is, it's an important it is. little era. It is. Learn about yeah. the Maccabees and Judas Maccabus and all that. Oh, it's yeah, really man. neat. They thought, so many thought he was the Messiah because he was such a great military leader. All right, well, let's dive in here. Here we go. Here all right, here go. is the, I did not, I, the, the pictures for Haggai and Zechariah were just pitiful and, and, it, and it almost looked like it was the same guy they were using and just like tilted the picture a little bit. You know what I mean? So I just, I just didn't put them in there. But now the, these, um, these prophets, these minor prophets, when you look up there at the timeline, what do you notice when you compare Haggai and Zechariah, when you n- compare them to the top two bars up there, where do you see them positioned? Ah, I heard after the exile. Yes. So these will be the two, and Malachi will be the three primary prophets that preach to Israel after the exile, yep. after the return from exile. So it's very significant. So just remember that. And that's the whole reason why I've got that chart up there so we can, because I mean, I, 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 get, man, I, I get confused. When you go to the New Testament, you're preaching the New Testament. I mean, you, I go back and chase the Old Testament prophets whenever they're cited. But I right. mean, but the minors, you know, it's just, it's, uh, 
it's hard to remember it's where like they a chaotic are. chart just yeah. like that one it's one of my greatest follow. fears whenever i go to a pastor search committee is i'm afraid they're going to ask me to name the minor prophets <laughs> because cool. i would not be able to do it without my bible you so. throw it back at them and say you name them first <laughs> <laughs> that's good colton that is good all right so post-exilic prophets haggai zechariah malachi tonight we're looking at haggai and zechariah all right so let's just get going here and uh colton will just uh, change up while we're going through yeah, here all right good. Now, uh, Stringfellow takes the first three books kind of together and gives you an introductory uh, panel here, which is really good, kind of trying to give you an overarching understanding of where they are. So Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are known as post-captivity, and I've been saying exile, captivity, exile, same thing, just different, different, different words. They were God's messengers during this period of restoration of Jerusalem and the temple. So remember, northern kingdom destroyed by Assyria in 722, southern kingdom destroyed by Babylon in 587, northern kingdoms gone forever, consider the 10 lost tribes. Southern king is in exile for 70 years, prophecy of Jeremiah is fulfilled. They come back after yeah. 70 years and they, and they reestablish worship and reestablish Israel. Which okay. in 70 years is gonna be important. Yes, it is. And yes, it is, prophets, absolutely, yeah. yes, it is. So the main appeal of Haggai and Zechariah was to inspire the Jews to finish building the temple, which had been discontinued while the message of Malachi was the tragic sin and apostasy of God's people. Okay, and, and this is something that we see continuously. You know, it's, you've heard people say you gotta strike when the iron's hot. You know, when somebody goes through something that's difficult and tragic, uh, you remember, well, it's a perfect example. Do you remember when 9-11 happened in America? Man, churches were filled up that next Sunday. You remember that? I mean, packed yeah, out. Yeah. But then what happened after a few months? Just went right back to normal. Everybody, every, no, the, the urgency of the moment kind of fell away. Yeah. Same, same thing with Israel. There's this excitement when they first go back and they start building. Yep. Then they lose their focus right. and they stop. So the spiritual revival of the return to the holy city had turned to what? Spiritual coldness, yeah, spiritual coldness. And it seems significant that the last word of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, the final word is what? Curse, which means we're headed right back where we were before they were sent into exile, right back there, and the, and the temple is destroyed. Can anybody remember offhand what, when it was destroyed? What year? A.D. 70. 70. A.D. 70, 70 by, the emperor, by, the, uh, by the Roman general Titus. By Rome. You know, and I think just a word on that too is just, um, you know, always kind of looking at Israel as a litmus test for your own spiritual walk with Christ and uh, thinking about how easy it was for them to fall, to fall into despondency and to get lazy uh, with their call from God. And I think about Hebrews. Right, we love the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. You know, everybody thinks that's my favorite book of the Bible now. because It is, pre- dude. But it's not. What? It's never been my favorite book of the Bible, but everybody this thinks is it is because I preached out of it so long. <laughs> I, that, that preacher just loves Hebrews. I mean, I love all the word of God. Hebrews is awesome, though. It is. Yeah. Sorry. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Mm, that's good. Um, you know, and certainly this was what the Israelites had fallen into once again. Yep. So, yep, exactly. So Haggai deals with a real situation in the lives of people. So not long after the Jewish remnant returned to Jerusalem and Judea, they began to what? What does that say? I'm just making sure you're reading, you know, neglect 
the things of the Lord and spend their time on who? Themselves. Building their own houses and forsook the rebuilding of the temple. Okay, that's the theme of this book. Now, how interesting is that? How interesting is that? Yeah. So for 14 years, they had been in this backslidden condition. And to this kind of a situation, the prophet Haggai was sent with God's message. He was among the first group to go to Jerusalem with Zerubbabel. And uh, his name is actually Zerubbabel. I just want to see if anybody caught that, but they didn't. Just like uh, Theophilus. Theophilus, yeah. 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 That's, that's, That's a pretty funny thing there. Ezra Tutu, he was probably born in Babylon during the captivity and then came back, uh, was probably excited about going back just like Ezra and Nehemiah were mm-hmm. to the Holy Land to, uh, to rebuild the, uh, the city of their, for, their forefathers. The central message is what? Yeah, several times you read that. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Build this house. Consider your ways. Haggai 1, verses 7 and 8. Now, so, so, yeah, go ahead. I think, I think this is interesting because when you, hopefully, you know, Haggai wasn't super long, just two chapters, and mm-hmm. hopefully as you were reading through it, something that struck me as I was like reading, consider your ways, I was thinking, okay, now what is the Lord calling the people of Israel to do here? Uh, is, he, is he calling them out because they had uh, lost their trust in the Lord? Um, you know, consider your ways, you haven't trusted in the Lord, and this is why uh, you have sown much and harvested little. You, uh, you eat, but you, are never, you, you never have enough. Uh, so he's calling them out in this way, and I'm like, okay, is he calling them out because they're not satisfied in the Lord alone and trusting in him, or could it be that God is not blessing them uh, because they have neglected the temple? And uh, this is, this is, so what do you guys think it is? Is it, is he not blessing them because they've neglected the temple or is he saying consider your ways because they are, they have a lack of trust in the Lord? I think it's a combination. Well, the trick answer is it's a combination, I think, but. But I mean, um, you didn't tell me to say that. I just, I'm going to answer your question. Right. I gave Winchester the chance to jump in there first. Jump in and he does, you know, fearlessly. Jim Winchester just jumps right in. I love it. Um, but if you look further on in verses seven and following, and I won't read all of that, but he, he, and I love this because this is a demonstration of putting everything in context. Uh, he tells you, the Lord tells them why he literally says why, uh, he has, they have neglected or why they don't uh, have enough. Uh, why when they get money, it's like putting money into a bag with holes in it. Well, why? are they not being blessed because they've neglected to do the work of the Lord? Mm-hmm. Which, again, I think is connected to uh, their trust of God. But, yeah. I don't know, I just found that interesting that, yeah, and that just God for that. Anybody on live feed where Colton's talking about is in Haggai chapter 1. If you look um, in that first chapter, if I use the ESV and I love it because it's got the titles in, in the, in the uh, paragraph breaks, but right here in Haggai chapter 1, it says... Because This is verse 9, right before 10. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. So so this is why context, again, is important. This is why we don't rip uh, a verse just one verse and we post it up on our door frame and say like, you know, we, now you might do that after you read the context and you're like, oh, I understand 
that verse now in its context and it still has the same meaning I thought it had. So, you yeah. know, but you don't want to rip a verse out of its context. You want to understand it and ask good questions of the text. Correct. It's like getting a letter from somebody and starting in the middle instead of the top. Right, yeah. right. I, I will never forget that, that uh, illustration. Yeah. All right, so the structure of the book is this is a series of sermons. Did y'all get that out of the book? So you're hearing preaching from, from right after the return from the exile from the mouth of Haggai. So the first sermon is a reproof. And it's interesting that we have dates on this too. And Haggai's ministry was very short. How long was it? Just a few months, right? September through December, is that right? Or, or December or November is very brief. So there's a reproof, Haggai chapter one. The second sermon is encouragement. That's Haggai two verses one through nine. The third sermon is blessing, Haggai two, 10 through 19. And the fourth sermon is promise. And that's Haggai two, 20 through 23. And there's your your dates there on Christmas, Christmas Eve is from our, from our calendar. So notice that each message is dated in Scripture as listed above. One of the few times you actually know uh, in Scripture the exact date that a word of God was given to the people. The other one I think this date a lot is Ezekiel, I think, gives a lot of, a lot of dates yeah. in, in his prophecy. So very interesting. So we got four sermons, and he only preached them. He pre look, preached, what, one a month it looks like? Could y'all deal with that if we did that here at Parkway? One sermon a month? Could y'all make it? Are you sure? Okay, we'll keep, it, we'll, we'll keep it to four then. Yeah. We'll keep yeah. it to four for now, so. All right, so the first sermon is reproof. That's Haggai chapter one. So Haggai's first sermon is to reprove the people for their neglect in building the Lord's house. They were postponing what they had gone to Jerusalem to accomplish. I mean, what was the whole reason why God raised up the Persians uh, to send them back, to send Israel back. Why? To reestablish, to reestablish the nation, to reestablish, to honor their God, to reestablish the, the temple, to reestablish worship and all that. And the temple was the signifying central point yes, of worship. Exactly. So note verse two in chapter one. This people say the time has not come that the Lord's house should be rebuilt. So the people have decided that it's not, it's not time to do it yet. Colton, why don't you take over now? Yeah. Continuing with the, the first sermon in reproof, Haggai says, consider your ways, build the house. I mean, that's about as direct as you can get. Yeah. <laughs> consider build your ways, and, and he wants his house built, uh, not a neglectful spirit and, hey, let's go pursue our own selfish desires. The people were satisfied to sit in their homes and wait until the time came and that they felt like doing it. <laughs> yeah. What happens when you wait to feel like doing something. <laughs> You'll never do it. You know, when you sit on the couch and you open up that bag of potato chips and you get that soda out and it's like, oh, I know I'm gonna get to that lawn eventually, you know? Uh -huh. Well, you know, when you get food on the gut, you don't wanna move. So, I mean, this is what happens. So, uh, obviously that was not gonna work out for them. Yeah. Uh, this speaks to us today. Uh, we just wait and do not work. We must do both, wait and work. Now, when I was reading through this, I talked to Shelby about this point because I, I think it's interesting. Um, I, I, I think sometimes in the church today, there's not just a lot of, uh, by waiters, he means uh, lazy people, right? That's what he's pointing out here. Uh, I, I think that sometimes there's some, and you, when I was bringing this to you, you pointed out the biblical precedent for it, Martha. There's a lot, sometimes there's a lot of busybodies uh, in our church, and certainly, uh, Martha was at this place when Jesus was in their home and, and, and she should have first 
just sat at the feet of Jesus and chosen to listen to his words. And she was so busy that she got angry and her attitude was, was filled with rage and anger that her sister was just, her, her neglectful sister was just sitting there doing nothing while she was trying to do a good thing, but she wasn't choosing to do the best thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I think there's this balance. And I think as Americans, man, we have been uh, raised up on this, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and come on, let's do this thing. And sometimes in the doing, we also miss, we also miss the heartbeat, right? We also miss the purpose for why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and sometimes I would even go so far as to say that sometimes we get so caught up in the, in the moment of all of our busyness that we miss Christ completely. Uh, to the fact that some, I think in some churches, we have churches that have uh, a bunch of people in it who aren't even saved. Sure. Because we're, we're, you know, we're all about just, we're almost like just a nonprofit, you know, handing out water to those who need it and, and shirts to, the, to those who need to be clothed, which is a good thing and scripture calls for that. Right. But all, let it all be done in the name of Christ. Amen? Sure. And sometimes Amen. I think we miss that. So there's, there's, there's a good type of waiting um, and there's a good type of work, I guess is simply what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, the, the only, only thing I would add to that is just, you know, fee, feeling like doing something. I, I think, that, I think that, that we're way too, uh, I think that feelings can, I mean, they're given to us for a purpose, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, guilt, conviction, those types of things. I mean, God has, has made us that way because, uh, you know, God, God has emotions. No, I mean, the scripture is, you know, clear about that. But I think that many times that we allow our feelings to trump what the truth of God's word says. Like, I mean, I know that, that staying like in the word of God, anchored in the scripture, reading the scripture, it is so easy to just go to the passages or to the teachings in the scripture that make us feel good, that talk about forgiveness, talk about those kind of things. And we don't like the scriptures that are discomforting or that make us feel bad. So there's yeah. a tendency to only do what makes us feel good. Right. You know, so, so it's like, you know, give, it's, it's like those things that God has called us to, to do in obedience that are hard. Right. It's hard to deal with sin. It's hard sometimes to turn loose of the money that God has called us to give to the church. Right. It's, it's hard to make sure that, that we are here on Wednesday night for Bible study and that we're here on Sunday mornings and that we're trying to come to Sunday school and we're trying to be, to be faithful to the Lord and what he's called us to do. And I think in the time of, of Haggai, it's just like today. God's calling us to do this, and we know that. Right. But man, we're tired, we're overworked, we're probably involved in, in, in way too many yeah. things. Uh, we're probably not getting the rest we need. We're probably right. pursuing too many pleasures that actually get into the way of what God has, has called us to do. Right. And, and we, we tend to get into this idea that I'm going to do what I want to do because I've worked hard and I deserve it. Yeah. And that's okay for a worldly person to think. Right. Before a Christian to think, first and foremost, we understand that we owe everything to who, regardless of what we have. Who do we owe it to? God. Period. Period. And so we, and it's, and it's not, you know, we're not religious fanatics. We're not nuts. We're not zealots. We're, we're, we're salt of the earth people who yeah. want to see God's kingdom thrive, who want to see future generations come in. And it will be a battle. The battle that Haggai was fighting in his time after the exile is the same battle that we're fighting today. Because, I mean, you think they, the Jews were excited about going back and, and reestablishing their nation. Good grief. We know the Savior of the world. Yeah. 
we know the truth of the gospel. We, we should be more excited about taking Jesus to the world right. than we ever were about planting a nation or anything else. Yeah. But we get consumed in worldly pursuits that get into the way. And those can be good things. Those worldly pursuits that can be hunting, fishing, I mean, things like that. Rest. Yeah. Rest, rest, sure. Can turn sure. Into rest, a movies, you know, and, and music. Think, it can be all kind of stuff that sometimes gets in the way of, of what God wants us to do. So. And, and I think, too, that, you know, when you talk about waiting here, um, waiting and work, I think we're always asking the question, God, what do you have for me next? What do you want me to be doing, Lord? Tell me, you know, tell me, Lord, what's your will for my life? And it's like, you know, look, if you want to know uh, on your way to trying to figure out God's will for your life, you might stumble, stumble over the Bible, you know? Um, and that's exactly what you need to pick up and you need to read it because there's a difference between God's secret will and his revealed will. Um, you know, if we covet God's secret will too much, well, we can't know that. And, and then we try to get a little charismatic, right? And we try to start, you know, like making up stuff and that's not real and doesn't happen so that we can get an emotional experience and, and explain it off as God is like, you know, uh, come down in a pillar of fire or something when that has not happened or, you know, I've been slain in the spirit. And it's like, well, no, you, I mean, probably not. Uh, but this for sure, solidly, we can know, you know, and even when you come into a, a fork in the road, you can study God's word. I, I, I know I've had fork in the road moments and, I've, and I was, either way would be good. And I just went into God's word and I, and I looked at both paths and I said, Lord, which one would honor you more? Which one would, uh, you know, please you the most? And just based off of, you know, Christ's principles, based off of biblical principles, it, it makes it so much easier to make that decision and through prayer. So what can you do in the waiting? You can study God's word, mm -hmm. you can pray, uh, you can be doing the work he's definitely called you to do in his revealed will as you, as you wait for his secret will. Yeah, so. that's good. All right, so that was reproof. Reproof by Haggai. And the next one is encouragement. I'm just going to bring all that out. So this is a word of encouragement. This is chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. So we're almost, we're almost through with the book already. Um, <laughs> right. So he, he declares three great facts. He bases this encouragement on three great facts. The fact that he's trying to get them to, to, to finish building, building the temple. First is Jehovah's covenant with Israel and his faithfulness to that covenant from verse 5, okay? According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. That's the second one. That's also verse 5. And then third, God says there shall be a great shaking of the nations. So then he, he jumps from there all the way to the end, right? All the way to the end. God says there will be a great shaking of nations and the one who is the desire, Christ, of all nations shall come and the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former in verse 9. So again, that eschatological, whenever we say that, that means the end times glorious return of Jesus and the, uh, the final coming of all the nations to worship at his feet. So that's the encouraging word that he gives. So these are the things which should inspire us, right? When we think about our own lives and we're discouraged, these are the things that should encourage us, that we're part of God's covenant through Christ. Yeah. I mean, do you think about that every day, that you belong to him, you belong to Jesus? And he's got a plan for your life and that he's with you and he loves you. And no matter what happens, no matter what befalls you, that he's going to preserve you for all eternity. Mm -hmm. That, that uh, the spirit's presence is with us and then the promised return of our Lord, that Jesus is coming back. 
that we will either die before he returns and we'll be with him or he will come back and we will be caught up with him in there. Either way, we will be with him forever. So that, that's where Haggai's going with that. closer, walk with thee. I was thinking about that. That's right. That's right. saying that. But it's so true. The third sermon is blessing. Oops, sorry. Going too fast here. The third sermon is blessing. That's Haggai 2, 10 through 19. So the people were to ask the priests concerning things of the law of Moses in verse 11. And he says, the holy cannot make the unholy holy by contact, but unholiness is communicated by contact. So, so blessings for a defiled people. So he's talking about how you make, make unholy people holy. Okay, and we know how that happens today, right? How does it happen today? How does an unholy person become holy? Jesus Christ. There's only one way. There's only one way that happens. Yeah. And then as we become, as we, as we are saved and we become Christians, then we have this kind of like, if you remember, uh, uh, Brandon washed my feet when the first Sunday I was here. Jesus made all the disciples uh, wash each other's feet. And why was that? Because that's the only part of our body that comes in touch with what? The world. Exactly. And so it, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a, it's a metaphor for we are to wash each other's feet. We are to walk with one another in accountability with each other, helping each other avoid and mortify sin in our life. Okay. Yeah. So Haggai applies this to the Jews, though they had returned to the land and rebuilt the temple, their hearts were far from God. So they have become defiled. Okay, they've become away from God. God judged them because their hearts were not changed toward him. The, the God says, consider God would bless them now because they had obeyed. He would bless because of his grace. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yep. Then the fourth sermon is promise. This message is directed to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. The message is the same as in verses 6 and 7. And it speaks of the final purpose of God. And that is that the Gentile power will come to a what? An end. Gentile power, what does that mean? It's the time of the Gentiles. Now is the time of the Gentiles. The world powers are slowly coming to an end or quickly coming to an end. Uh, but, but, it, but this is the time of the Gentiles, which, I mean, what does that mean? That means that right now Israel is not a world power. The Gentiles are trampling on the Jews, so forth. Like, what, what is the main uh, structure that is on the Temple Mount right now? It's a mosque, yeah. exactly. Okay, so the Temple Mount is being trampled on by Gentiles. They would consider uh, Islam Gentiles, okay, because they're outside the covenant of God. So all this is pointing to a different time. So in that day... The Lord will make Zerubbabel a signet, a sign of authority, a guarantee of a greater David, which points to the Messiah. You know, I, I thought it was, it's a cool comparison, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, what do, you, what do most of you couples have on your hand right now? A ring, right, a, a wedding ring, signifying that you belong to, you are committed to your spouse, and uh, I, I think here that's a, that's a good illustration for what's being said here, that Zerubbabel is a signet. Um, he, he's, he's a sign, right? That, that the Davidic covenant, which comes from where, Tony? <laughs> Do you see how often that comes up? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, right. that's why I belabor right. that point with, with, with every church I've ever been at. People think I'm crazy. Man, that guy's obsessed with Second well, Samuel. I said, no, that's because God's, well, that's God's used it all time. Think about it, man. If you, if you were in captivity and you were at least somewhat of a committed Jew and you had committed yourselves to understand the promises of God and you had looked back at Second Samuel, the scroll, right, and you knew it was like, okay, God had given this promise, and is he going to be able to keep it now that we've been in captivity? 
And there have been so many Jews that have been slain. And Lord, what are you going to do? And then here it is, Zerubbabel is this signet, this sign that, that, that you know, the, the Davidic king is still going to come. Yeah. That God is still keeping his promise, even though they have been uh, just neglectful. They have been evil, downright wicked. Uh, they've been grumpy and, and complaintive from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it's just amazing to see that. Yeah. And then Zerubbabel was honored by a place in both genealogies of Jesus, in Matthew and in Luke 3.27. So that's, that's remarkable, remarkable. Then the fourth sermon, Christ is truly, this is the promise Christ is truly the son of Zerubbabel as well as the son of David. Zerubbabel, just like what you were just talking about, was and is a signet prefiguring of Christ. So Christ, the greater son of the antitype of David and Zerubbabel, shall be the signet of Jehovah, whereby he shall imprint his will, his perfect ideal, upon all nations. I just get so excited sometimes I jump ahead. It's fine. You're you're fine, man. You're fine. (laughs) So from the moment of obedience, God blesses each of us. And here's the question he leaves us with before we go into Zechariah. Are you building the spiritual house of the Lord, his church, made of living stones? That's what he's asking you. Are you doing that? Are you building the spiritual house of God uh, on Christ Jesus? Paul, you know, Paul says it a different way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He asks that same question. Yeah. Uh, you are a master builder and you're building on a foundation that was built before right. you. Right, and you think of 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, I think it's like verses like 1 through 5 as well, that we are a spiritual house being built up uh, as spiritual stones. Um, you know, and so those are, those are great passages. I hope you like write those down or something if you don't have them. Uh, because certainly I think his question, I love his question, taking this, this Old Testament truth and applying it to us today as God's house and God's people. So, I mean, I'm a little like sad that not more of you are like getting out your pens and like jotting it down somewhere. Like, you know, cause this is, this, it's is great. Well, like, it's on live feed. They can go back and listen to it again, man. So, they ain't going to go back and listen to it might. again. Look, I, I see they, you smiling. I see you laughing. Somebody might, somebody might. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Would you, would just remember the whole point that Haggai's trying to make here is that, is that, and I, and the, what I get out of this is, especially the feeling part you know, is that the Israelites don't, don't feel like, or it's not the time, you know, that it's not time for us to go build God's temple. Well, I mean, that's really not your call. That's God's call and God's command. And if, if, and if he has given you the command to go back and build, what do you do? You go back and build, just like he has commanded us to go do what? Make disciples of all nations, exactly yeah. right. I mean, we don't necessarily build, we're not, God hadn't called us to build temples because back in that time, the temple actually held the glory of God, right? And that's the delineation that needs to be made here for sure because a lot of people will, will say, well, Haggai is telling us that we gotta, we gotta build a new building tomorrow. That's not what Haggai is saying at all. Haggai is saying to us that we are to, to, to take as seriously the command that Christ gave us as New Testament Christians as the, the, Old, Testament, the Old Testament saints listened to Haggai saying, you were sent back to go build that temple Build that temple whether you feel like it or not. Christ, Christ tells us, you go make disciples of all nations whether you feel like it or not. Sure. You could definitely, you could definitely make that argument. For so sure. you can't use Haggai in a sermon to justify a building campaign? <laughs> Is that what we're saying I, here? I wouldn't do that. No, no I wouldn't. I absolutely wouldn't do that. not. I wouldn't. I, it's, yeah. it's a, uh, no, no. You'd be missing the point, too, too, too I mean, homiletically, contextually, right. No, we're New Testament Christians. We're to make disciples. Now, we just, it just so happens that the way since Constantine was the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, 
he kind of set us on trajectory of, uh, you know, of large buildings. But we know the New Testament model was, you know, was, was home churches. And the reformers so. looked back at that day and, and said, man, I wish that would have never happened. Some of them did, because yes. Because it ruined yes. the Christian movement. Some of them did. Well, well it just, it just married well, the church with culture. Well, it brought politics into the church. Right. A lot of people believe right. that. Okay, Zechariah, moving on. So take your Bible, live feed, join us in Zechariah. This Zechariah. is a 14-chapter book, a lot longer. Um, I've got uh, outlines here that I've, I gave the congregation. We'll try to remember to, to email these out to you as well. Now, this outline here is, is very simple. It comes right out of a Holman Bible dictionary. Um, I use those on a regular basis because it's just it's difficult to remember the content of all of these books. So a dictionary is very helpful. It summarizes each chapter, just kind of helps clear up some of the, the, the metaphor and the, the, the symbolism and things of that nature. So uh, I, I use mine all the time. So Zechariah was a contemporary with Haggai. We, so we know that. The proof text there, Ezra 5.1, Haggai 1.1, 1, 1, and Zechariah 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, Zechariah supplemented the message of Haggai. He was both a, a what? A priest and prophet. And Jesus was prophet and priest and king. So just remember that. He was the son of Barakiah and the son of, I'm guessing, Edo. Who says Edo? Raise your hand. Who says Ido? Edo. Raise your hand. Edo. 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 Okay. All right. Uh, Nehemiah 12, 4. So this means that Zechariah was of the family of Aaron, therefore he was a priest. Now this right here uh, is, a, is a Jewish calendar. No, that is not some evil pentangle, some kind of astrology. No, that's not what that is. Um, I just put this up here for you. I am not an expert on the Jewish calendar. Uh, we probably should be smarter about the Jewish calendar uh, mm -hmm. in the Gentile church, but we're just not. But I put this up here for you to see, and you can find this. I believe it's um, jewsforchristians.com. It's, it's, a, it's a solid website that I found years ago that I go to from time to time when I try to blend some, some Jewish things into the message. But you can see up there in the top left corner the Shavat, S-H-E-V-A-T. Uh, occasionally, Zechariah will, 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 name, will name the month on the Jewish calendar that he's talking about. That's why I put that in there for you so you can look at that and, uh, and, and see that if you would like to do that. And that's really great for the festivals too, to mm -hmm. be able to kind of get it in your mind how the festivals track through our months as well. That's right, you see Yom it's Kippur helpful. at the bottom, yep. mm -hmm. and you see the weekly Sabbaths up the left. Unleavened bread, Passover. Passover, yep. mm -hmm. all that. So it's just, it's just, it's just helpful to, to, to see. All right, the book, from, time, from the time of Zechariah and Haggai, the priesthood takes the lead in the nation. The history of God's people falls into three main periods. That's from Moses to Samuel, okay? And then from Saul to Zedekiah, and then from Jeshua to 70 AD. That was really helpful to me. I've never thought of it in that fashion until he wrote it out like that. Hmm. But so the leadership in Israel has those three phases, Moses, Samuel, Saul, Zedekiah, Jeshua, to 70 AD. So you've got basically almost a patriarchal and to, to prophet, then, then for sure kings, and then priests. So Very neat. Very good. Or judges, rather. All right, it's prophecies. There are more prophecies of Christ and Zechariah than in any other prophetic book except which one? So is it an important book? Extremely important. And we'll list some of them and at least one scripture about the fulfillment. And there's a little table I made for you. Put them all in you there know, for you. I don't know about you, but as I was reading, I was just like, there's one. You know, and I'd keep reading yeah. and be like, oh, sure, Jesus, there he is again. You know, I, hopefully that happened for you because it's really kind of a neat. neat yeah, well, let's, let's read a couple. Yeah. Uh, why don't we read, um, why don't we look up uh, Betrayed for sure and then the second coming. Let's do that. When you do that, you do Betrayed. Do Zechariah 11, 12, and 13. Yep. Yeah. 
So if you've got your Bible, go to Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13. That's assuming I type those in right. Let's see. <clears throat> okay, uh, starting in verse 12. There, and I did, yes. Chapter 11. Oh, was it wrong? No, no, no it's right. No, okay. It's right. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. And they weighed out as many wages, 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it, into, uh, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Yep. All right. Now jump over. Hold your, put your ribbon there. And then jump over to Matthew 27, 9. Now, now the, the, this is the, when we're doing this right here, and I, I say this all the time, but, but this is the reason why gotcha. we, we believe that, that Scripture is true and that Jesus is who he says he is, is because these types of things, now, th th this prophecy in Zechariah was made centuries before Christ came, okay? But it, but it, but it is fulfilled perfectly in, um, in Matthew 7, 27, 9. And it says, Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. So Jeremiah and Zechariah, both of them contain a parallel that is cited by the apostolic witness in the New Testament. Now that, that's, that's huge. Yeah. It's centuries before both of those prophecies were written and it is fulfilled yeah. uh, in, 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 in Matthew 27. All right, then the other one was the second coming, just to jump to one that's a little different there, 14, 4, and 9. Let's see. I got it. Okay, go ahead. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount uh, shall move northward, and the other half southward and then verse 9 here and the lord will be king over all the earth on that day the lord will be one and his name one yeah and incredible. remember uh in acts when jesus ascended into heaven do you remember where he spoke to the disciples for the very last time before he ascended where was he the mount of olives and as he and as he ascends he tells them that he will return in a very similar fashion which means visible where everybody can see him return. And, the, and so he will return right back in the Mount of Olives. So it's really amazing when, when, when you read the Old and the New Testament and do comparisons on, on how Jesus says he's gonna do certain things, it, it all lines up perfectly. I mean, perfectly. Okay, so there's a whole bunch of prophecies and fulfillments that you can go through. And I would encourage you to spend, if you haven't already, spend some time. Just, I mean, it literally, th th this is how the Holy Spirit will mature you as a believer. Okay, if you want a tip, if there's such a thing as a tip on growth and by the Holy Spirit, look up, look up the text, read Zechariah 3.8, and then read the fulfillment of Matthew 12. And the Holy Spirit will work a supernatural work in you and begin to help stitch together in your mind these fulfilled prophecies and make you stronger in the Lord. I yeah, believe that with all my heart. Just as a reminder, that chart, just so you know, it's right there in your book. Um, you know, just, just if you were hoping to find that, it's right there in your book on the, uh, the book of Zechariah. Yeah, I just formalized section. it, put it, in a, yeah. put it in a chart for you, yeah. bolded it. Okay, so the central truth, I am jealous for Jerusalem. Jealous for Jerusalem. Now, now just right out of the sheet, let's say this, because you, you, hear, you hear unbelievers will say this a lot. Uh, well, your God in the Bible says that he's a jealous God, and it's a sin to be jealous, okay? You ever heard that before? I've heard it several times. 
Well, human jealousy, I, I mean, can, can be bad, but some have said where there's no jealousy, there's no love. But right. the kind of jealousy that God has for us, that's a holy jealousy because he's our God and his son died for us. So that's okay. Yes, Brandon. Correct. Correct. Boom. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's Man, the point I was trying to make. That's good stuff. Yep. So, so, yeah. so jealousy by God is holy and righteous and good. You know, one what? thing, he, he makes fun of me for doing this in the office. I do this uh, to him all the it's time. It's fine. I just, uh, you know, it's, it's like just something Colton does. Yeah, it's just like when I got a point, I'm going to point <laughs> at him like, you know. Um, yeah, I, I think, though, just, just be careful. Don't use, don't, you know, when you're witnessing to someone, maybe you don't talk about him being a jealous God. Uh, I made that mistake one time, and uh, they were like, whoa, God's a jealous God. What's that all about? And then it was like, I totally lost him. I was like, that wasn't the point. <laughs> it just, it didn't work out very well after that. But so just a... Well, so Brandon's word is a good word. Just a pro that. tip there for yeah. you. Yeah, because yeah, cool. they don't understand that. Brandon's yet. word. So Brandon's, Brandon's word. Brandon's word. So the structure of the book, you have night visions in chapters 1 through 6, four messages in chapters 7 through 8, and the prophetic burdens in 9 through 14, okay? Uh, some students, and this is just him giving you some background on the historical study of the book and kind of the debate over how many visions there are and so forth, and just trust me that within theology, you'll have different opinions on everything. That's just the way it is. Yep. Uh, some students say there are seven visions. Some say eight. Others say ten. He, he says that when you separate them out that you do find ten. I think there's ten in there. Uh, some of them overlap a little bit, but I think there's 10. And we're only going to look at briefly at each vision. So here are the visions. I'm going to go ahead and bring them out. Colton, why don't you yep. start us off there? Yeah, so the night visions, again, this is chapters 1 through 6. Uh, the rider on the red horse, Zechariah 1, 8 through 17. The meaning is God is jealous for Jerusalem, and judgment is to fall upon the nations for abuse of his covenant people. Uh, which, again, God burning with a holy jealousy for his people, that's... That should get us excited because uh, I think he does the same for us. Um, the four horns, Zechariah 1, 18. The four horns are the four nations that had scattered Israel, namely Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, which we originally saw in which book? Daniel, right? <laughs> Daniel, yeah, he, he mentions In the these. vision of the statue, right? right. And he was the toes at the very end, right? Right, right, that's right. Yeah. Um, okay, and then we have the four, I'm sorry, am I going... There no, you're you fine. Go. Go ahead. Uh, the four carpenters, Zechariah 1, uh, 20 through 21. Mm -hmm. uh, these are the instruments of God or, of judgment upon the four nations uh, above. Now, and I had, a, I had like an interesting thought in my head, and maybe some, someone has done more research than, than I could do, but um, who are the four carpenters? The, uh, the, the nations he just named, I thought. No, no. So those are the four horns. Oh, that's right. These are that's the four right. carpenters that God is going to use to judge the four nations. Well, man, if, if you've and got I was thought, like, I was thinking, I was yeah. like, well, Jesus was kind of, you know, I mean, he was kind of a carpenter, you know. I mean, you know, I don't know, Joseph. Okay, that was just, that was just, that was my, you, you just got a glimpse into Colton's head there. Uh, there it is. It's a so, scary, it's a scary thing. To it see. is a scary it's place a scary to be, to so see. yeah, don't go there. Um, the man with the measuring line, Zechariah 2, 1 through 13. Uh, Jerusalem is not, uh, not to be made, maybe measured uh, as man would measure, but the Lord himself shall be a wall around the glorious city. So does everybody understand what's going on with these visions? Is that, is that God is trying to help Zechariah, give Zechariah a message to turn around and to give Israel. That Israel, if you, if you back up and, and look at this, that number one, that God still loves them and that God is about to bring judgment on all the nations 
that brought destruction upon them. Look, look, look in the Bible, look in Zechariah chapter 1, and let's see. Yeah, go to verse, yeah, go to verse 14, or start at 13, start at 13. And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly what? Jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. And I am exceedingly what? Angry with the nations that are at ease for while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. So right out of the chute in the first chapter, God is declaring that, that Jerusalem is back in favor with God and that he is going to punish the nations that have brought punishment upon, upon them. You know, I really felt like Zechariah was really, um, I really enjoyed it because you see almost, well, you do. I mean, you see the reversal of what was happening with the major prophets. Um, and you see, though, that the foretelling of what Zechariah is talking about in the major prophets, talking about using Assyria as his rod, mm-hmm. you know, to strike Israel, to mm-hmm. discipline them. But then what does he say with Babylon, Assyria, all of them? I'm going to judge them. I'm going to bring mm-hmm. judgment upon them. Yep, Bill? turns right, right back around and judges them for, for, for what they did. Right. Right, that's, that, that's it. I just, I wondered if there was more to the story and if anybody had done more research than I, than I have done. Any, any uh, wild reference out there that I, I've missed, you know, so for the carpenters, but, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things I think that's a mystery that only the Lord truly understands, so. Yeah, it, 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 Secret looks, will, it right? looks as <laughs> if, it looks as if in those verses, like if we just look at chapter one and just read, we'll just read through them right quick and see if any, anything pops in anybody's mind. And I lifted my eyes, as Zechariah said, lifting his eyes, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked to me, what are these? And he said to me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, what are these coming to do? He said, these are the horns that scattered Judah, so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted. So it almost seems like, it almost seems like there's an overlap of the horns right. and the craftsmen to me. I, right. I, I, don't, I don't know. But, but I, I do know that Stringfellow assigns those, these nations to the horns, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. So right, right, I think if I, you go any further than that, it's speculation, and we just don't know. Yeah, so, and you don't know. And unfortunately, there's a good bit of that in the Scripture at times. We, we just don't know. God's secret will. We'll leave yes, it up to that. Correct. So, all right, so the ride on the red know. horse, the four horns, all right, and then the, the four carpenters. Or craftsmen, whatever. The craftsmen, yeah. yeah. He says carpenters, the Bible, the ESV says the craftsmen. Line. In the measuring line. Yep. So Jerusalem is not be measured as man would measure, but the Lord himself shall be a wall around the Lord's city, meaning that his protection, the way I see that is that his protection has come back. So God is measuring out the protection where his protective grace will be back up on the city. All right, go ahead. Yeah, Joshua, the high priest. Man, this one's just real interesting, yeah. right? So, but uh, but I'll read it first. Just, yeah, just read, read the whole passage. Y'all, you take your Bible and go to Joshua. Uh, Joshua, listen to me. Zechariah chapter three, and we'll go through verse one through ten. Go ahead. 
Yeah, you want me to read the passage? Or sure. The, yeah, read the passage. Okay. Uh, so chapter 3 here, starting in verse 1, and we'll just go to verse 10 there. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is, uh, is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with, with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to, and to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are, uh, who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant, uh, the branch, mm -hmm. and I love that, right? There mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. my servant, the branch, for behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a, uh, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. Love that too. <laughs> um, in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of, every one, sorry, got this flipping page here. Every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Yeah. Gosh, how awesome is and, that? And the, the, and the symbology in that passage and the prophecy, from from the scholars that I've read, I mean that's that's pointing to Jesus. Oh man, pointing the branch, to him. and the you get that from Jeremiah thirty three fifteen, yeah. right? The the mention again of the branch. Yeah. We see that theme picked back up. Mm -hmm. You see that iniquity will be removed in one day. I mean, <laughs> one day. Come what on, the, what man. day would that be? The <laughs> day he's crucified. Yeah, that's, yep, that's right. Man, the atonement. And, so uh, so that that that's whew. just that's awesome. I mean, that's beautiful. so good. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And he called him my Lord. Right. I don't know. That's a good question. That's a great question. Do some digging and let us know, brother. Yes. Yeah. We'll write a book on it. <laughs> we'll give you credit. <laughs> I you stumped us. I don't, I don't know the answer yeah. to that one. Um, but no, I, I love too that you see here. I mean, honestly, like this is a Job-esque moment, right? Where you see mm -hmm. Satan standing before the council of mm -hmm. the Lord. And it's like a courtroom setting. And here's Satan, the accuser, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and the Lord's having no part of it, right? He's just like, I rebuke you, Satan, you know? And it's just like, but guys, we have a real enemy, uh, right? I know like oh, C.S. Yes. Lewis yes, talks yes, about yes. how, um, you know, there's two fallacies when, when, when it comes to um, knowing the enemy. Some people are far too interested in the, the demonic things and the satanic things. And some people are far too lacking in their knowledge of Satan's strategy, right? And so we kind of have to meet somewhere in the middle where we understand Satan's strategy. And here you have, you have mm -hmm. uh, an indicator I mean, he gives it to you. What, what is Satan called here? The accuser, right? Feeding lies to the saints of the Lord to try to distract them from, from his mission. 
I mean, goodness gracious. Satan and is we, the accuser of the brethren. Sometimes. Just, yeah. to, just to try to stir it up, man, to sow discord, just get people turned against each other. Right. That's, that's, that's what he tries to do. That's it. Okay, let's continue. The golden candlestick and the two olive trees, Zechariah 4, 1 through 14. God shall rebuild his temple and shall witness in the power. And I'm going to read this just because there's one, there's one verse in here that really spoke to my heart when I read it because I, I, I so deeply believe in the principle that's in it. So I'll read this one. Give your voice a break this yeah, time, okay? absolutely. All right, and the angel, this is uh, for everybody who's listening out there, Zechariah chapter four. We're just gonna briefly run through the chapter. It's just uh, 14 verses. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me. So Zechariah is asleep, all right? Like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lamp stand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and, other, and another on the left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my what? Spirit. Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also what? Complete it, meaning it's going to happen. Zerubbabel started it, Zerubbabel will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Here's the verse I love. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Wow, isn't that something? Now, these seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range the whole earth. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, do you not know what these are? He's obviously making him try to know, like we all should. And I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Now go ahead. I know, I know you want to do it. Go ahead. You've been wanting to no. do it all day. Do it. No, no, no. I, no, I, no think, I want you to do it. Do I it, do think it. that this is an interesting, a really interesting study for you, okay? So you can go to Revelation chapter 11, and there is mention of what? Two witnesses, right? Yes. And, uh, and, and there's, a, there's a unique connection here, and I believe it's either the lampstands or it's the olive branches, or maybe both. I, I'm, I'm having trouble remembering in Revelation, but... It's mention of the, what was that, the lampstands, right? And, uh, but these two witnesses are connected then to, to this passage, yep. all the way from the end of the book, Revelation. Yep. And uh, I just, my theory, right, with the two witnesses, because this is like something, again, with prophecy and New Testament that you just, and, you know, the apocalypse of Revelation, you just kind of have to do a little guesswork. And it's something here, look, guys, you, you, you can simply say, I think... It could be these guys. You don't have to say 
it's these guys. You know, you can just say like, and, and you'll get red in the face and argue with someone about it. Just say like, yeah, I, I think it might be Moses and Elijah, which I happen to think if you look on the Mount of Transfiguration, who's standing with Jesus? Moses and Elijah. And, uh, and here it says that the two standing beside the Lord, and I just happen to think that that's probably Moses and Elijah, who are the two witnesses uh, at the end of all time, and they're preaching. Now, again, another one, another speculation is that it could be the two who were taken into heaven without dying, which was Elijah and then uh, Enoch, Enoch. Yeah. right, or Enoch. So, yeah. um, you know, it could be them. Some even speculate it could be uh, Zechariah and Haggai, which I don't really think that's probably right, but it could be, yeah. you know, but it's just yep. kind of a, you study it, look into it more. It's a very interesting thing because, and look guys, because again, is this like, this isn't a fantasy fiction novel. Like this is like, you <laughs> know, right. like it's this is going to happen, cool. you know? And so it'd be kind of cool to think about it and, you know, see Moses and that's <laughs> right. Elijah being the two witnesses. So. Beautiful. All right. We got to We got to We got to fly like an eagle. Oh man. Okay. Fly yep. like an eagle. Yep. I love All right. Tonight, so the flying scroll, the next one is Zechariah. <laughs> the next vision is five, uh, chapter five, one through four. Uh, when God builds his temple, as in his last vision, his word goes forth to judge. So the scroll is the word of God. The next one is the ephah, Zechariah 5, 5 through 11. The woman in the ephah, a measuring container and a symbol of trade, teaches that all corruption, all against God, should go to Babylon, the city of sin. Okay? The four chariots is next uh, in Zechariah 6, 1 through 8. These, these are a picture of judgments of the Lord upon the nations. As, he's, as he started out the, the prophecy with, he revisits, he revisits, revisits that theme. And then the symbolic crowning of Joshua and Zechariah 6, 9 through 15, uh, everyone agrees that, is, that, that believes the word of God is true, that this is a vision of the second coming of Christ and Zechariah 6, 9 through 15. So we will read this. So grab it with me and let's do it. All right, <clears throat> 9 through 15. All right, and the word of the Lord came to me. Take from the exiles, Heldai, Tobijah, and Jedidiah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day. Am I reading the right thing? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold, and make a what? Crown. Crown. And set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the what? Branch. I mean, how, the symbolism there is unbelievable. Mm. For he shall branch out from this place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helam, Tobijah, Jedidiah and him, the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off shall come and help build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. That is just, gives me the chills to hear yeah. that. It's awesome. Okay, yeah. uh, then chapter 7 and 8, there's these four messages. So these four messages, just moving on here, uh, found in Zechariah, support the central message of the prophecy. So God's purpose for Jerusalem is unchanged by any ritual or form. He was and is a jealous God with great jealousy for his people. And these are messages which teach that worship is a matter of the what, y'all? And, and I mean, and, and that, that is one of the primary messages that Christ brought to us, that worship is a matter of the heart. He, he would rather have mercy than sacrifice. And, and a merciful heart 
is a worshipful heart, yeah. okay? The prophetic burdens in nine through 11, the first burden is in chapters nine through 11, and this is the one that, this is the one that you have uh, probably heard some preacher preach about at some point on what day? <laughs> what Sunday do we call when we have palm branches in the house? Palm Sunday. Why do we celebrate Palm Sunday? Because Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem through the mighty gates to shouts of what? Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Passion week, man. Huh? The Passion week. Passion week, exactly. Yep. So, so one of the key things, y'all, one of the key things that enraged, I'm talking enraged the religious leaders yeah. about that moment was the fact that he rode a donkey through the gates of Jerusalem. Why? Because he wanted to show himself as fulfilling this verse yep. right here. Yep. He did it on purpose. He did it on purpose according to God's sovereign will. Okay, so let's Amen. look at it. Here we see the first coming of Christ in Zechariah 9, 9, and the second coming in 10 through 17. So let's read that. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a what? Donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. And then all the way through 17 is the second coming, because he first, just remember this as a Christian, he comes in humiliation the first time, and the second time he comes in what? Conquering. Glorification, yeah. exactly. Conquering king the second time, humble servant the first time. Okay. Then chapter 10 is a picture of the covenant people scattered and finally restored in their land. Chapter 11 depicts the first coming of Christ and the rejection of him as Messiah. You can note uh, Zechariah 11:13, and then compare that with 27:9. Sorry to just fly through this, but we're, we're, we're running out of time. Um, note Zechariah 11:13. That was just there was a, a note from the other panel we just had. The Lord said, "Throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I priced by them." So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord. I think we've already touched on that from the chart we looked at earlier. If you remember that, yeah. that was we talked about in that chart. Okay, the second burden is chapters 12 through 14. These chapters form one prophecy, and the theme is the return of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom on earth. Now, if you read this, if you read this, I mean, I'm telling you, this is some of the most vivid prophecy you will ever read in the scripture about the second coming of Christ. So I want to encourage you, if you have not done it, please read 12 through 14, but specifically chapter 14. It, yep. I, I had not read it in quite some time, and, and I read it, and I'm just like, anybody that thinks that there is not a rapture, a second coming, like anybody that does not believe in some form of dispensational pattern, right, right. It is just not reading the text. And to say that is yeah, just means patterns of time. Yeah, or, you know. I mean, I mean, to say that Israel's been absorbed into the church and that there's no there's no further involvement with them, it, it's just, it can't be true. But based on these couple of passages, yeah. there's going to be a millennium. He is going to rule from the temple. I mean, it, it's just so right. clear by right. reading this. Absolutely. So the order of events: the siege of Jerusalem, the battle of Armageddon, um, the grace of God and revelation of Christ to the house of David, verse ten. Godly sorrow for rejecting the Messiah at first advent. The cleansing fountain opened up to Israel. 
the summary of these events in 13 and 14, note Zechariah 14, 4. Uh, notice that the first and second advents, as should be advents, are spoken of in these last chapters with no reference to this age of the church. And then Jehovah shall again take up and complete his grand purposes with and for and through Israel. So I know we flew through the last few chapters because we're just, Colton and I are just way too talkative in the early chapters, and that's just who we are as theologians. Sorry about that. It's fun. But, but those last 12 through 14, please take some time and, 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 read, and read through that. I mean, li- listen to this. I'll just close with this because th- this just stopped me. I mean, I can remember I, I read this and I had to get up and walk around for a few minutes. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine press. And it shall be inhabited, for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. That has got to be talking about the new Jerusalem. It can't be talking about any other form of Jerusalem. Then verse 12, and this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will will rot in their mouths. And on that day, a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them so that each will seize the hand of another and the hand of the other will be raised against the hand of the other and so forth. And so I'm telling you, you just need to read it. Talks yeah. about celebrating the Feast of Booths. Yeah, it's incredible. and I think something that hit me as I was reading uh, Zechariah here and we're getting close to the New Testament is that you know we should, we should read with expectancy. You know We should read uh, seeing ourselves as a part of this grand story of redemption because although no more scriptures being written or anything like that the canon is sealed um, God is still fleshing out his 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 plan his will uh, that he spoke of in the word it's still happening this is reality this is this is real this is happening and the Lord is going to return and I think I think we get outside and we like to study and we like to get facts and information and it's fun, you know. But that that does something to our hearts. It removes us from the reality of being in the story and and, and thinking, and knowing, believing, God, I'm a part of this, and you're really doing this, and this is going to happen one day. And and so reading these prophecies really bring that back up into my mind and, and help me to remember that God, I'm, I I have a calling on my life. This is not just a list of rules. This is a story that you were fleshing out and you, praise God, have made me a part of the story and everybody, even if they're not saved, is going to be a part of the story. Mm. But he's made us his holy priesthood, his holy yeah. nation. And so yeah. anyway, I just wanted to give you that encouragement. Yeah, it, and it's, it's, I mean, I know, I know it's overwhelming sometimes. And just remember, this is a survey. We, we just don't have time to go into every minutia of the text. So we try to hit some high stuff for you. You know, spe- specific key prophecies like the donkey we did tonight. All right, prayer requests. Are there any uh, additional requests out there from anybody we need to add to this before we go over the existing list? Yes, yeah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Wonderful. Thanks, thanks for sharing, brother. Anybody, I saw another hand. Yes. Foot. Anything else? Yes. Yeah, that's right. And then Leon, too. I was talking to Elaine, and she mentioned her. She had a stroke, if you guys recall. So just be praying for her, and Leon's struggling as well. Gotcha. Yeah. 
Um, I had a, just to let you know, the, the, a neighbor that, that um, in Columbus that we used to live by, Carl Novak and, and his family, he's got a granddaughter named Ava. And uh, they have found out recently that, and I don't remember how old she is, she's a child, she's, at best she's a teenager, but she was diagnosed with a extremely aggressive form of brain cancer within the past week. And things have been going okay, but all the testing that they did uh, came back with this, uh, with this diagnosis, and I don't know what the name of it is or anything like that, but, but they did figure out that, that the chemo and the radiation have to be at maximum levels, and, and, and it, may, it may like change who she is going, going through the treatment. And so it's just a really difficult time that they're having. And, uh, Carl and, and Bonnie lived right, uh, right down the road from us. Like those of you that helped us move that white house that we lived in, well, if you went right down that road and there's a curve, there was a house right there in the curve of the highway. That's where they lived. And uh, it's really, it's kind of, it's kind of ironic because um, the, the girls had visited them regularly. And right before we moved, they, they were pretty much there all summer one time. And they, we actually went over there and visited with them and played with them and took, for a, took them for a ride in the Jeep and got to know them and stuff. So it's, so it's just really shocking to hear this, this information about them. So. Yeah, and uh, another thing, um, there was a gentleman who came by on Monday. His name was Garrett, and uh, he was just having a lot of struggles. And so I just want to encourage you, if you just think about it, his last name Snow, Garrett Snow. Um, we, we got his phone number. We tried to follow up with him and text him or call him. Um, we haven't heard anything back yet, but uh, he was having some major issues through a whole lot of like going back and forth. We got him, you know, we prayed over him, got him to Stonecrest and got him checked in. And I, I saw him walk in back with the nurse uh, going back to see a doctor. So uh, just pray for him. Just a lot of issues going on. And he was trying to get to Missouri. So uh, if we hear anything else, we'll keep you informed. And uh, praise the Lord, we got our sister D in the house of the Lord. So good to see you, sister. And um, glad, uh, at least right now, it wasn't uh, anything super major, uh, as far as we know, right? So, yep. Seeing the doctor tomorrow. Okay. Now, right. And Sid's home, right? It's, uh, so Sid's Sid, home? Maybe Sid's listening, Sid. We're still praying for you, brother. Okay. So yeah. he is home. And then Marty is at Trust Point. Uh, Marty, yeah, if you're listening, brother, we're, we love you and we're praying for you. Get, get better, get better. And um, uh, we do have, remember, we've got Bill Matthews Memorial Service uh, this Saturday. Visitation is at 1, the service is at 2, and then we're going to uh, feed the family after the service is over that afternoon. So, Karen, we've, uh, we've worked through the, the details on everything. It's going to be a really, a really good service. So, so please come and support them if you can on Saturday. Yeah, and then uh, just a few other notes for you real quick. I think everyone already heard about this, but we have new office hours. Uh, they okay. are Monday through Thursday. Uh, office is closed on Friday, okay? Uh, I'm sure there, there are definitely ways you can get a hold of us if you need to. Um, but yeah, so our, our new office hours, and the reason we did this, guys, is because so we can all be together longer. Um, and also because when we were trying to explain days off and who was on and who was out of office and all that, it just got really confusing. I could, I, when I was explaining it, I could see the person's face like, 
and their heads start to tilt. So I was just like, yeah, maybe we need Who's to do something first? about that. that yeah, thing. right, right. So there it is. And uh, we, we, you know, we do kind of uh, operate sometimes outside of these bounds. But normally, if you really want to make sure you catch us, nine to four is a good time to make sure you actually catch us um, for that. There was a date change as well, just to let you know. Um, May 22nd at 6.30 p.m., there will be a family ministry summer movie night. Uh, they're going to be watching Zootopia. Uh, I love Zootopia. It's an awesome movie. I get just as excited as my girls do when we watch that. So it's a cartoon, and it's a lot of fun. So um, there's that. Uh, don't forget VBS is coming. Uh, next week, week, we've got Women on Mission. Um, it's the first Wednesday of each month, so just so you know. But um, most of you, I think, already knew that. Um, yeah, and then I think that's, that's it. Sounds great. Yeah. Man, why, don't you, why don't you pray for us? Well, let's do it. Yep. Father God, we thank you so very much for being able to come here this evening and just dive into the depths of your word and swim deep into just to breathe it deep, Lord, um, your glorious uh, word that we just get to gaze into and we get to learn about your beautiful, amazing plan of redemption, God, that, that you knew, you knew from the, before the beginning of time, Lord, you knew about it and yet you set it into motion. Um, and how beautiful it is, Lord, uh, to know that we are your people, that your ultimate plan was to send your son to save sinners like me and like Shelby, Lord, and like this, uh, this sweet congregation that we love and we get to do life with and we get to walk with in, in you, Christ Jesus. And uh, I pray, God, that you would help us as we move forward, as we take uh, one step at a time, that you would help us to do so arm in arm, hand in hand, uh, unified for the sake of you, Christ, and for the gospel message. Lord, because you've told us, you told the disciples a new commandment you gave to them, uh, that if we would be unified, that if we would love one another, Lord, this is how the world would know you, Christ. This is how the world would see you, Lord Jesus. And I, I pray that we would be a unified church, God. And, and not that we would just unify around anything and everything, but God, that we would unify around your call to go and to make disciples of all nations. Uh, Lord, I pray that. And God, there are so many prayer requests uh, out on the table tonight. I thank you, Lord, that Sid is back home. Uh, we, we love our, our brother Sid and, and our sister Mary Sue, uh, how sweet they are, and, and they have been around this church for a long time, and we just love our brother. And I thank you that you gave him your tender love and care uh, through the hands of the doctors and that he is at home now and being able to rest. Uh, please help us to know how we can love him, care for him um, as best as possible. I thank you that, as far as we know right now, that there were no major complications with Dee, uh, our dear sister, and, and I pray, God, that you would protect her. I pray as she goes to this appointment tomorrow, God, that you would give her good, solid, real answers that she can walk away with, uh, uh, feeling more confident that she understands uh, why, why uh, her body pains in the way it does, and that uh, the doctors would also give her solutions <laughs> to those answers, Lord. Uh, so I pray that, God, uh, for her. Lord, I do pray for those who came in the doors tonight, those who are watching tonight who are discouraged, who are downhearted, oh God, who are faint-hearted. I pray that you would help us to encourage them, um, Lord, through the preaching, through the teaching of the word, God, through a kind, uh, gentle action, oh Lord, or a soft-spoken word to that, that person that would lift their, their eyes to you, Christ. Please help us to do that and to be the church, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those, mourn with those who mourn and weep, oh God. And, and please, I pray for those who are on the mountaintop, would you, would you help us to partner in their rejoicing, um, God, to, to keep them there and to, and to point them to you, Christ, that they might serve you in their zeal and their energy uh, when they're on the mountaintop. We praise you, Jesus. 
you have redeemed us in your blood. And uh, Lord, we thank you for it. Help us to go outside of these walls to proclaim it. It's in your heavenly name I pray. Amen. Amen. Good night, Lafayette. Good night, guys. See y'all Sunday, Lord willing. Sunday. And the creek don't rise. Uh